Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated tonight, this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Joni. Thank you, Ethan, for our praise this morning, just the worship of the Lord. It's good to be in the house. Praise the Lord. He is here in a very strong and tangible way today. Uh, on your chair as you came in was an envelope that uh, is given to you as a gift uh, from someone very special to our church, to our ministry, and that is Dan Beasley. Dan, where are you in the room today? Would you and your lovely wife stand to, to your feet? For those of you that do not know, uh, we have a very, very special uh, man in our church and his lovely wife, Miss Pat, that has served the house in a tremendous way and taught our people personal evangelism, not just the four spiritual laws, but how to walk in kingdom authority and kingdom power. Um, I don't know if I've ever met a man in all of my days that embodies the nowness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to do great exploits than Joel Crumpton. And I want to just say thank you to Joel. Where are you, Joel? Where are you in the building? Stand to your feet, if you will. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everybody be seated. Joel, you remain standing. I thought you, I thought you were Moses there for a moment. Lift a, lift a staff up. I thought, dear Lord, they're going to part some water here in a few moments. Uh, but I just want to thank you for all that you have done for us and teaching us. And we know that you had a terrible, terrible accident, now had hip surgery twice. But um, you have taught us well. And I just want to thank you as the image comes up on the screen for being all alone many, 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 many days and taking a cross throughout the North Georgia area and walking it and waiting on divine appointments. Oftentimes, people would come up to Joel and say, what are you doing? He says, I've been looking for you. I want to thank you for taking the cross around the world. Not long ago, you met this man, and Dan has been extremely inspired by your ministry, and that's what we ought to do is multiply, yeah, train others. Joel, as you preached the gospel in Africa, you always carried a cross. Others around America now has been inspired as Dan was in Uvalde uh, 
Texas shortly after the massacre in the school. He's been in other national catastrophes where racism and hatred and bigotry have been posted on Fox News and others. And Dan, we want you to stand and say thank you for partnering with North Georgia Revival. As the two of you, it is being multiplied by the dozens, if not hundreds, in the next few months and years, that everywhere you look, there will be crosses crisscrossing America. Yeah, come on, give God glory. Thank you, too. I wanted to honor the two of you this morning. Please take this cross, Dan has been so kind to give this to, um, to us, and we appreciate that. Yesterday, he was in Cobb County and was able to meet with the chief of police to distribute and give to him close to 800 crosses to give to their deputies in the days to come. So we praise God for that. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Uh, as Karen said, the book, Unless We Pray, is now available. I want to encourage you to get uh, your copy today in, in the lobby. There are multiple tables to be able to service you for that. And so I want to encourage you to take advantage of that, if you will. I want you to go in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah 66. If you're here from uh, a pastor of a church, thank you for being here today leaving your church. I know how difficult that is. I know how nervous you are right now, wondering, <laughs> are you going to have a church to go back to? Are they going to destroy the place? <laughs> now, let me, let me encourage you pastors. Do not ask the how many question today. Uh, when you get on the phone, do not ask how many people showed up at your church. Because I don't care how, how um, subtle you are, how um, undercover you're trying to be by not being in church today at your place, people knew that you weren't going to be there. So they think, well, if the boss is not there, nobody will miss me. So don't ask. Touch your neighbor and say, don't ask. Because you'll be in torment the rest of the day. And because here's why, you'll think, well, why wasn't, you know, why weren't they there? Are they leaving? The numbers are low. What's going on? Come on, pastors, don't leave me out here hanging. Y'all know it's the truth, don't you? So don't ask. Don't ask, don't tell. So if you know, don't tell him. I cannot wait till tonight. Corey Russell will be with us this evening. Yeah, give God glory. Uh, but more than that, I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is here. We've been praying, seeking the face of God. His presence is here. Uh, and this is not what we do on big events. This is our life. We pray seven different, seven different prayer meetings throughout the week. And um, you just happen to be a part of one of them last night, one this morning, and you'll be a part of another one 
uh, today at 5 o'clock. And we do not ask God to heal people during our prayer meetings. We don't ask for things during our prayer meeting. We say, God, all we need is your face. Because when he walks into the room, when he shows up, he brings all of that and then some. He brings peace. He brings joy. He brings a destructive, violent, vengeful spirit in the sense of, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. He comes with, he comes with malintent in the purest of ways. That he has come to set the captives free, to bring hope, to bring courage, to bring strength, and to bring healing. Tonight, he is coming after diseases and cancers and addictions. People are here today from all over the world that need God to touch them. Uh, we're, we're pleased to have Pastor Sam and Sandra Lundgren from uh, the church, beautiful church in uh, Cottonwood, Arizona. Where are the two of you? Right here? Where? Stand up, if you will. And the reason I share this story, yeah, give God glory. Thank you, pastors. You have no idea, and I have no idea what's going to walk through those doors tonight. There'll be people intoxicated. There'll be people with drugs in their body. And there'll also be people with days and weeks and months to live. I was in Cottonwood, Arizona in uh, early part of October, and they hosted an immersion service. We had been out there several times. A man walks into the room. I had no idea. He sat about five rows back, and I just shared stories and preached the gospel, gave an invitation for people to be saved. He came to be born again. While I'm praying and leading him in repentance, he begins to weep. He said, the doctor told me I have two weeks to four weeks to live. We received word yesterday that he passed. But earlier this month, he walked into the building. He heard that God was touching people in the water. He came for healing. But he did not receive a physical healing. But he became born again. Right there. Yeah. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Ghost. From what I understand, he died without pain in his body. He brought reconciliation to fractured relationships. And the last three weeks of his life, been so filled with peace. And the family could not be even believe the transformation that took place in his heart. I stand before you today with fear and trembling because... I know 245 weeks into this that walking through that door tonight, there'll be people that have no idea that a leaders conference is on, but they're coming because they've heard. And my primary goal is to host God in such a way, to create a culture and environment in such a way that God can do whatever he wants to do as he seems 
fit to do, but every sinner, every prodigal that walks through the door encounters the overwhelming presence of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, the power of God, the fear of God, the all of God, all of those things in this room. I'm not interested in having a church service or a church conference, but we have come to be crushed, we have come to be broken, we have come to encounter the living God. Isaiah chapter 66 today, I wanna speak a few moments on the subject What does God look for? I believe that God looks for one thing. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says in verse 1, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? In other words, you can't build me a sanctuary enough to, beautiful enough to impress me. He says, what are you going to, how are you going to build something for me, for me to come and inhabit and just simply to rest? He says, I want you to know my earth, the earth that you are on, is my footstool. So how are you going to build a palace beautiful enough, big enough to impress me? For all those things my hand has made, he says in verse 2, and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one thing. Everybody say one thing. Now, when God says one thing, you need to pay attention to it. It lets us know that the Lord is looking, that the Lord is watching, he is observing, that he is pondering, that he is speculating, he has interest. And he clarifies for us one thing that he looks for. And I want to make sure today that whatever he looks for, that we make it a priority in our life because we want him to find what he's looking for. You see, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says that the eyes of God roam throughout the whole earth trying to find. Think about that. Trying to find. So it means that God is constantly scanning, observing looking for particular items, issues, things in our lives. He said one time, he says, I sought for a man to stand in the gap. And he says, I found none. God will not settle. Nor will he lower the standard nor negotiate with us. He will not stoop to our level to accommodate a need that he has. He says, this one thing that I look for, Isaiah 66, verse 2. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and the individual that trembles, at my word. Father, I thank you that today, as I walk softly through this text, I pray that your heart will be revealed in this room. God, we're not interested again in a few days of meetings, but God, we're interested in a counter that shakes us to the very core, that redirects us, alters us, 
We need revival and an awakening. So, Lord, may your word ricochet all through our soul and our spirits until everything that displeases you comes to a brutal end and dies and gets discarded. Have your way in this house. And everybody in the house said amen. You know, I I love this translation about poor in spirit. The New King James uses the word poor, but the Amplified New American Standard and other translations use the words humble. But I like the word poor because Jesus even said, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. I don't know if any of you have ever been poor before, but I have been borderline poor before, not growing up. But after we got married, I learned real quickly what not having stuff is about. We were in love but had no money. Can anybody relate? I'm going to say it again. We were in love and had nothing. We had to borrow for everything, didn't we, baby? I told you the story about having to go to Salvation Army and buy my suits for $1.25 and my tie for $0.25, and I was in I'm telling you, I was, I was living high when I got a new suit for a buck fifty, everything for a dollar fifty. I'm going to tell you how poor we were one time. And I say poor, relatively speaking. I know poor. I had an old Toyota truck, 19-something-something. And it worked when I bought it. And I bought it used, and it was already a lot of years old. And Karen and I moved to Texas. You remember when we moved to Texas Seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary? And, and that truck started acting up. It started misbehaving. It had a mind all of its own. We had no money to fix it, none. So we just prayed, oh, God, make it work. I'm in seminary. I mean, we, could, we couldn't rub two nickels together to get 10 cents. I'm telling you, it was... You know, our highlight was Taco Bueno restaurant, $3.49 on Saturday, on Friday to have a taco salad. That truck started backfiring on me. And I don't know if you've ever had an automobile that backfired. And this was the time that there was a catastrophic, a catastrophic event in the early 90s in America and, and beyond of terrorism. Everybody was on high alert. I so happened to work at a a, a factory that I worked part-time, and they needed me to deliver product. And normally I drive their vehicle, you know what I'm saying? They had a company truck, and so I would drive it, but that truck was out and doing its thing, and they said, Todd, can you take these packages to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport? And I was a praying guy at that time, but I never prayed as much as I did while I'm in that automobile, that truck, thinking, dear God, I'm going to get killed. I know what's going to happen to me if I pull up to that airport and this thing backfires. They said, okay, here's what you got to do. He says, you got, you got to go into the packaging department. And you got to pull your truck into the warehouse 
of where they have all these packages, where the norm, you know, where they bring packages and ship packages, not passengers. So I'm weaving my way around, and I'm telling you what, I pulled into Dallas Fort Worth, and you know, it's, a, it's a maze to get in there. I'm praying, oh dear God, if you love me, <laughs> if you care anything about my life, please, oh God, for this one time, don't let this truck backfire. I'll do anything. I'll be a missionary. I'll give, I'll, I'll dedicate my firstborn. I'll travel the world. I, Lord, please. I kid you not. I'll pull up there to the packaging department and I, I you know, and, and it's not when you turn the car off. It's even when you let off the gas. So here's what you would do. You'd be at a red light. And I knew it was three seconds. And that thing would explode. I had like nothing happened. Like, like it wasn't even me. Y'all, you, you know passengers like that. They, they make something stupid happen. and they... That's me. That's crazy. So I pull up. I kid you not. I pull up. And, I pull and I'm praying, oh God. I let off the gas, and three seconds goes by, and nothing. So I'm cocky. I get out of the truck, and I walk to the back, and then it happens. I don't know what the Lord is like, 10-second delay. It never happened that way. The whole place went like they're diving for cover. And there I am. It's me. I'm the guy. Let me tell you how broke we were and poor. So it dies on us. We have to get a new car. So we go to the Honda dealership. Remember this, Karen? And, we, and you know, we, we walked in to buy a payment. I said, here's what I can afford. They came to me and said, okay, we may be able to do that, but let's talk about some accessories. Now, this was the day when your side window was an accessory. I kid you not. Remember, that you, could, you, you, you could add on a side mirror. Now it's standard. They came to us and said, listen, I think you really need a side mirror. I said, what's the payment? How are you going to increase my payment? He said, $1.25 per month. I said, no. I said, we can't afford it. <laughs> we had that car for like eight years, never had a side mirror. Dear God, we're knowing we can. I never look at a side mirror the same. But can you imagine you can't afford 33 cents extra a day for a side mirror? Or not a day, but literally a week. What does that come out to? Five cents a day. <laughs> I know what it means to be poor. But God says, I'm looking for something different. He says, this one thing that I look for. He says, I look for a man or a woman who has a poor spirit. I don't know about you, but when you're poor, you're completely dependent on others. You have to look for others to sustain you. A beggar on the side of the road, someone that's at a red light, perhaps someone 
like the man at the gate, beautiful, looking for arms. God says, I look for people that they have not enough within them to do anything for me. I look for people that acknowledge that there is a lack of supply in their own life to do anything significant for me. I want to talk to you today about pride and humility. And I really don't want to focus on the problem of pride, but I want to focus on the power of humility. Because he says it is one thing that I look for. The Bible says in the Amplified Version, for all these things my hand has made, so all these things came into being by and for me, declares the Lord. But to this one, I will look graciously to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who reverently trembles at my word. I want you to write this down, if you will. It's going to come up on the screen. I love what Robert Layton said one day. He said, God's choice acquaintances are humble men. His choice acquaintances are humble men. F.B. Meyer said this. He says, I used to think that God's gifts were on a shelf, one above the other. And the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we could reach them. I now find that God's gifts are on shelves, one beneath the other. And it is not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower. One thing I look for, a man or a woman who has a broken and contrite, poor and humble spirit. The Puritans put it this way, said pride is the last thing that leaves the human heart and the first thing that returns. The word humble that Jesus, is, that Jesus used literally where he says blessed are the poor in spirit is the word humble, which basically means beg, blessed is the beggar that has to come to the point, to the utter end of himself, and he begs. Not for the finances, but oh God, I have nothing within me that releases kingdom power, not my talent, not my gifting, not my insight, not the, my, my ability to persuade and to move people. But, oh God, there is absolutely zero inside of me that releases kingdom authority and power. I am poor and I need you. Do you hear what I'm saying today? The word humble, write it down, comes from the Latin word, which literally means earthy, dirt, or down to earth. And I declare over our gathering this morning in the Christ Fellowship Church, if we want to know the grace of God and encounter the power of God, the love of God, we must begin the practice of stooping low and staying as close to the ground as we possibly can can. The Bible says in Micah chapter 6 verse 8, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly 
with your God. Now, the reason I'm giving you this today is because I'm setting you up for something that's going to happen in the next few moments. I want to talk to you again about the power of humility. Every significant work that is happening in America and around the world, and I'm talking about kingdom work. I'm not talking about measuring success by the metrics of man. I'm not talking about how many people people have on a Sunday morning, the gathering, how large their building is, how many services they have. If you are a good communicator and you know certain skills on organization systems and processes, you can gather a crowd. You can get people to come into your building. I'm not talking about that type of influence. I'm talking about anything that God is doing on the earth that is significant and substantial when it comes to kingdom revelation and kingdom power. You will find a man or a woman who leads that, who is completely a beggar in the spirit, who understands his or her lack and their lack of of importance. We have seen ministries grow and surface with people with a lot of swagger. And there's not a lot of substance. There's a lot of personality. There's a lot of shining lights. Come on. There's a lot of glitz and there's a lot of glamour. And we are attracted to that. We are attracted to the newest fad, the next phase, the next technological advancement that seems to stimulate us intellectually and also physically. And I'm not against those type of things, but I am here to tell you what God's doing in the earth today is that he is finding men and women of low report that will not be enticed by the glamour and the glitz of things, but his eyes looking for men and women who are beggars in the spirit, who deeply understand that within them, there is no good thing. I prophesy into this room today that we are about to go from addition to multiplication. I don't want you to think earthly in that sense, but I am talking about in the spirit arena where there are going to be new prototypes of ministries and churches where they're going to be small, insignificant houses, where the bigger and the larger churches are great and they're going to continue to do their thing. But I'm here to tell you that the eyes of God are looking not at the biggest of buildings or who has the most followers on Facebook or who has the the largest Instagram outreach and TikTok swagger. He says, my eyes are going to look for a man or a woman, a teenager or a child whose heart is completely loyal to me, but understands that I am looking for spiritual beggars. I am looking for people who understand their own lack, their own insufficiencies, their own inefficiencies, that understand that without God, without his power, without his strength, without his might, without his grace, without his mercy, that we are absolutely nothing and can accomplish nothing as far as kingdom power is concerned. Yeah, give him glory right there. Thank you, Lord. You have to understand, I did not write Isaiah chapter 66, but this is God himself that has penned these words 
He says, this is one thing that I am looking for. I am looking for an individual who is humble and poor and broken in the spirit. One example comes to my mind. I remember the the little fellow by the name of David in the pasture keeping sheep. You remember him? We look at all of his advancements. We look at all of his accomplishments. We look at all the wonderful things of David and and we look at his life in total and we're quick to jump on the one thing that defines him and marks him. You remember what it was? It was his sin with Bathsheba. In his moment of passion and desire, He had this affair with Bathsheba and you know and I know that she became pregnant with a baby and tragically the baby died. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that was not David's greatest sin. You see, David grew in power, influence, notoriety. There was a time that nobody knew of him in the pasture. You remember that, that, that uh, David's father brought all the other sons and said, certainly one of these qualified to be king. Look at them. They look at their stature. Look at their prominence. Look at their abilities. Look at their strength. And the prophet said, where is he? Uh, is there another? He says, yeah, I've got this little fellow in the field, my youngest. He brings him in. And the Bible says he was just like a ruddy little fellow, nothing attractive about him. He just scrawny little child, basically a teenager, early teens. And, and then, and then, and he said, Oh, this is the one. This is the one you see the, the Bible says that we look for certain things in the flesh that appeal to us, but God looks beyond the flesh. He looks beyond the following. He looks beyond our footprint. He looks beyond our base of what we have built or the kingdoms that we have built, but he he, he's trying to find a man or a woman who, who, who's a beggar in the spirit, lowly. So as he grew in power and he grew in influence and people from all over the world came to him, those that were discouraged and in debt and frustrated, he asked himself the question, how, I wonder how great I really am. I wonder how strong I really am. How powerful is my army? In his own private quarters, he probably said, who can match me and my military? David wanted to know. He decided to take a census, not the census that Moses took, but he wanted to take a census of the strength of his power. Look, if you will, at 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Excuse me, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Very quickly today. First Chronicles chapter 21. The Bible says in verse one, I find this quite interesting. Verse one of first Chronicles chapter 21. Now Satan stood against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab, to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me the number of them 
that I may know it. David wanted to know how strong he really was. So he ordered this census of his military. And it's interesting to note that up to this point, he did not know how many men were in his army. So Joab answered and said, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servant? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? In other words, Joab came to him and says, listen, I understand what God said. I understand that God's, God has a census that you can take, but not a census to literally identify and quantify how strong you are in the flesh. He said, David, don't you understand that God can make what you have a hundred and a thousand times more powerful? Sometimes it's important not to know. Because as soon as you know and you look at what you have built, all of a sudden you can look at your own hands and say, Look what God has done through me. And there is a slippery slope that goes from look what God has done through me to look what I have now accomplished. And now what must I do to continue? Mm -hmm. Thank God for the Joabs in our lives. Don't count. Don't ask. Don't look. Because God is able, as he has done up to this point, to take the little and make it much, to take the weak and make them strong. There's something about this. He chopped down Gideon's army all the way to 300. And why was he able to do that? He says, I don't want you to put your trust in metrics. I don't want you to put your trust in what the world does. I'm not asking you to build my church. I'm not asking you to build an edifice. I'm not asking you to build my kingdom in the way that you think, that our Western world says more is always better. And there's a new prototype that's being lifted up from the very miry clays of our cities and in our communities where it's going to be churches and pastors and leaders that will not be enticed by the how many question. And measuring yourself against someone else and saying, you know what, they must be more loved of God or favored by God more because they have much. Look at their buildings. Look at their people. Look at how many services they have. And then we'll spend our entire lives to keep up with the Joneses. But I hear the Spirit of God saying to us today, don't take a census of your military. David became consumed with how many he wanted to know. So again, Joab pleads with him, don't do this. But David refuses to listen and so Joab has to obey the command. The Bible says. Verse 4, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed, went through all of Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All of Israel had, listen to this, 100, or 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. 
But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was an abomination or abominable to Joab. The Bible says in verse 7, and God was displeased. It says, and he struck Israel. God sent a prophet to David, and he knew exactly that, that God was upset. The prophet told King David because God was unhappy with his pride. And I want you to look at this. Verse 7 or verse 8. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Then the Lord said, and he spoke to Gad, David's seer, and saying, go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one. Do you see it? He says, you got an option, King David. Either you're going to go underneath three years of famine or you're going to flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you or you're going to be able to choose three days of disease in your land. David chose option three. Touch somebody and say, David chose option three. And this is what David said. He said in verse 11, choose for yourself. Then David said, I'm in great distress. Verse 13, please let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercy are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell. Think about this for a moment. We're very quick to highlight David's sin of passion. Where a baby died and Uriah died as a result of an adulterous affair, two people. But we are not quick to point out that that was not David's greatest downfall. That was not his greatest calamity. His greatest calamity was when he numbered the people of Israel. And 70,000 people perished. Not because of a moment of passion and lust and burning with an enticement in his heart to have another man's wife where two people perished as a result of that sin. But there were 70,000 individuals that died as a result of one man's pride. I declare to you in this house that humility is the gateway to kingdom authority and kingdom power that may not bring to you notoriety, put you on television, or cause you to be on a circuit of talk radio. But I promise you, a man or a woman who walks softly before God, humbly before God, has the sight of God upon their lives and the attention of heaven upon their ministry. I declare to you that pride is hideous In the sight of God. It is mentioned as one of the seven things that God hates. 
In fact, he even says, I even hate those that have a proud look. It was Jesus that said, learn of me, for I am lowly and meek. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of God. I don't know if you recall the story of Luke chapter 10, where the disciples went out and your Bible says, now this is just an opinion on my part, a, per, a perspective you can disagree and you're okay to disagree, but I believe this is what Jesus meant. You remember when Jesus sent out the disciples and they went out in such power that they cast out demons and they healed the sick and they cleansed the lepers. They did everything that Jesus commanded. They cured all kinds of diseases. And, and then they came back to Jesus and, and, and they said, Lord, look, at the demons are subject to us in your name. You remember that story? And, and they're recalling to Jesus, how the lame began to walk, the eyes began to be open, and the deaf ears began to hear. And here's what Jesus said. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. One of our understandings, and we like this, is to say that while they were out ministering, Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And that may be true, but I don't believe that's what he was implying. He was saying, guys, I understand what you just did. You're building an incredible ministry. I see my power and authority all over you. I understand that you're walking in this dimension of authority, but I want you to be careful. I was in heaven, and there was, a, there was an angel that was there that had all this authority and all this power and all this influence, and something entered inside of him. Just take note before you begin to brag about what I've done through you, that I was an eyewitness, and I saw that this archangel that had everything, pride entered his heart. And I saw Satan fall. He says, don't rejoice in this fact, but rejoice in the manner that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what I want you to glory in. Not how great or significant or powerful your ministry is. And every pastor and every leader in this room, you understand, every person that's ministered, we've seen God move in these waters. Oh, if I could just simply spend an hour or two with you talking about how what, or what we have seen, what we have witnessed, it is blowing our minds, but we must never, ever understand these are not our waters. This is not our ministry. This is not our, our, our revival. This is not us. This is not, this is not our ownership of these things. And regardless of how God moves in our ministry, oh, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are those that are beggars spiritually. Oh, God, I know you used me today. I know you gave me a word of knowledge tonight. I know, oh, God, that when I baptized them, I felt the power of God come out of my body into their body. And, Lord, they're no longer blind. They're no longer deaf. The psoriasis has melted off their body, and it's very quick and very easy for us to go, you know, look at me. Look what God has done for me. God told me long ago, he said, in the early days of the revival, he said, Todd, do not touch the water. He says, do not put your fingerprints on it. As long as it's nameless and faceless, nameless and faceless, I will continue to move in your midst. But as soon as you touch it, 
as soon as you, as soon as you grasp it, as soon as you put your fingers around it and think you have a corner on what I'm doing, as soon as you grip it and, 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 and put your, 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 your fingers around it, I want you, I'll begin to withdraw. There's been such power and glory that have destroyed a great men and women in the past. We don't own it. We don't possess it. The Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said to me, he said, Todd, mm-hmm. he said, hold it loosely, but guard it ferociously. I'm going to say it again. He said, hold it loosely. but guard it ferociously. Do you hear what I'm saying today? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Be careful. Pride will get you thrown out. Mm -hmm. May we be like the donkey that just simply provides an opportunity for Jesus to ride on our back. But never forget, we're donkeys. Can you imagine the donkey at the end of the road when he went back to the barn and had a conversation with the cow and the pigs? Are you going to believe what happened today? I'm entering a city and people are throwing their clothes down for me. Fanning me with palm branches as I go by. <laughs> Boys, you should have been there. Pretty cool. Pretty lovely. He was a donkey when Jesus got on top of him. He was a donkey when Jesus rode him, and he was a donkey when he went back to the barn. Talk to me now. Do not get enamored with the accolades from individuals, the celebration of you, the titles given to you. Take whatever is given to you and hand it to him. My instruction this morning for us is to keep our nose in the dirt. Just like this. This is how I want to live. Because anything a foot to two feet off the ground, I'm terrified of. Because I don't trust myself. The apples are appealing. Oh, to be like God. To know what he knows. Men and women, may this be our posture. Lowly, soft, pliable, 
tender. Understanding you're a shepherd in a field. You're a donkey hitched to a post. And here's what the Lord says. I just have need of it to ride it. This is revival. This is a move of God. People ask me all the time, Todd, tell me about the revival, and they, they, they're, they're blown away because there's no personality. There's no star. There's no one person that, that we can point to and say, because of that, or because of him, or the gifting, the, the, you know, the notoriety, the reason people are coming is because of, of, of this particular individual. And too many moves of God are built upon a gifting, a person. And I'm not anti-gifting. I'm not anti-platforms that God's given to individuals. But that's all they are is a platform, not for us, but for him. And people ask me, especially in the beginning days, man, you must be having thousands of people show up if those type of things are happening. I go, well, no, not really. Then it's not revival, they said. Because they measure a move of God based upon people waiting in lines for five or six hours at places. And they go, okay, oh, that's my picture of revival. So everything that now moves from this point forward, it's got to look like that. It's got to look like that. And so it's very difficult for them to receive when nobody knows who the speaker is going to be that night. Well, I'm not coming because so-and-so's. That's why we need revival. Because we're chasing some things. We're chasing, we're chasing. In fact, we're setting those people up for a downfall. Oh, there's my king. This revival is built upon the local churches here. War Hill, Freedom Tabernacle, Christ Fellowship, Covenant Connections, Relevate Church. And I could, I could go on and on. This is what God's looking for. I can't, I, I can't make it more appealing. I, I, I can't. I, I know people want something sexy. They want something sexy. Cute girl singing, fit guy preaching, mid-30s, so we can idolize. Uh, that's what Christianity looks like. No, this is, this, is what, this is what pop Christianity looks like. This is what that, you know what, you got you to have a certain weight to be on the platform. And you got to have a certain style and a certain talent to be able to lead people because we're an influencing church. And so we got we to gotta influence influencers. And so our whole, our whole mindset is about presentations, appealing, being attractive, promotion. God is saying we've done a lot in the Western church to appeal to the crowds. 
have we failed to appeal to the cloud? To do what he's looking for. I know what the world's looking for. I know what it's looking for. They're looking for a million dollar light wall. They're looking for lasers. They're looking for lights. They're looking for haze. They're looking for when they walk in, they feel stimulated. I feel pumped up. I feel energized. I feel this vibe in the building. I, I, I feel this energy in the building. And, and oh God, may he raise up, uh, raise up a new prototype of churches that say, God, I'm not anti any of those things, but Lord, what I am foremost is this. I need you in my life, and I know I can't get you any other way than face down, nose in the dirt, because that's where you're looking. You're not looking on the platform. You're not looking on Facebook. You're not looking who has the most followers. I'm down here. I'm looking down here who has their face in the dirt, the lowly. That's where I'm looking. All this is going on up here, and he's not up there. He's not looking. I know, I know, I know Christianity. We're thinking, dear God, that's it. And we try to emulate. We go to conferences and say, show me how to do that. What do I have to do to get that? When they'll say, all right, here's three steps, and this is the marketing plan, and this is what you got to do, and here's the mail-outs you got to go. Now, here's who you got to have in front of the people. They got to look a certain way. They got to have a certain fire about them. Oh, they got to have a certain attraction about them. The eyes of God are saying, no, 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 no. I am looking for one thing. He who is alone. His face in the dirt. That's where he found David. That's where he found John the Baptist, the forerunner. That's where he found the prophets, the weepers in the dirt. God has used you, Joel, because you've been in the dirt. Now everybody wants to emulate you. And so they'll try what you do. But they'll never walk in that power by minimizing the dirt. Oh, they can go and say what you say. If you'll put your hand in my hand, the power of God's going to enter you. That's what you say. But if there's no dirt time, it's words. A form of godliness, but no power. The Holy Ghost is on this. Titles get thrown around. People jockey for position, prestige, notoriety, preeminence. How about us embracing the title of servant? Foot washer. Water carrier. Can you imagine that? Jesus walks into John chapter 2 with a wedding, no wine, just pots. And he says, here's what his mother said. To who? The servants. Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Can I assume that posture? 
whatever he tells me to do, fill them up. The most important people of the whole story are Jesus, his mother, and the water carriers. How about that title? Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. James chapter 4, verse 6, look at it. It's on the screen. What does he do? He resists the proud. Oh, we keep preaching. Our buildings don't shut down. Our ministries keep thriving. But he gives special grace to the humble. Francis Frangipane, as many of you know him, and I close with a story, and I'll pay close attention, was asked often by, as he would go into a city, they would say, what do you feel? What do you sense in the city? What spirit should we attack? As you know, intercessors always have their antennas up, right? So they came to Francis and said, when you're, when you, what do you sense in the city? As he walked into the city and, and the intercessors, what, what do you think is going on? What, what's God revealing to you? They would say, we're up against a principality, a strong principality. Do you know the name? Everybody wants to know the name. Story goes that Francis would always say with a twinkle in his eye, yes, I know what you're against. Obviously, that drew them in. They asked, you, you really know the principality that we're against? He goes, yeah, I know the principality. Well, what is it, they would say. Do you know the name? Yeah, I know the name of the principality. By then, they were very impressed. They said, tell us, what's the name? He would look at them in the eye and he would say this. He said, the principality you are up against is Yahweh. I said, did you say Yahweh? He said, yeah, I said Yahweh. But that's God's name. He goes, yeah, I know. God is the one resisting you. They say, oh, that doesn't make sense. He says, it makes perfect sense to me. He says, ever since I came to this group, you've talked about how great you are. You've talked about how great your denomination is, how great this is and how great that is. He said, you tend to look down your nose at others and their work. You've allowed pride to come into your life as a group, a denomination and as a movement. You feel superior. You feel that you've got greater insight and greater revelation. He said, you really feel like you're superior to others. And he would remind them. That God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Sometime, our greatest resistor is not a devil. Our principality, our power, our demon is God himself. He says, I'm not coming in that environment. I'm not moving in that environment. 
I'm not demonstrating power in that environment because you're full of pride. He says, I will let you continue to do what you do, but I'm not walking in. I don't know if you remember this, but Walt Kelly was a, uh, back in the day, many of you may know this, was an American animator, a cartoonist. He gave the funny um, comic strip called Pogo. Do you remember that? I don't know, some of the way before your time. And this was back when papers had cartoons. And Sunday was the good cartoon day. Y'all know that, right? The Sunday papers, yeah. Half of y'all thinking, what are y'all talking about? He was drawing a comic, now listen to this, to to commemorate Earth Day in 1971. So Kelly drew Pogo and his friends sitting on an extension of a tree root. And with saddened, confused, and somewhat angry faces, the two of them were looking at an immense amount of discarded trash. Here they are walking. Ah, Pago, the beauty of the forest primeval gets me in the heart. It gets me in the feet, porcupine. He said, it it was hard, it was hard walking on this stuff. And he says, yep, son, we have met the enemy, and he is us. Pogo realized that there's no one else to blame for the trash on the forest floor. Too often we blame others for our plight in this country. We blame the sexual perversion. We blame the politicians. We blame education. We blame Wall Street. But as I read my Bible, Sinners are going to do what sinners do. But God is looking for his church to be the salt and the light of the earth. And we are right where we are as a society. And we have no one else to blame but ourselves. And we have met the enemy. And the enemy is us. How do I know that? It's not the first time. If my people, who are called by my name, not preach better sermons, a more electric worship set, more talented people, or bigger buildings, another social media platform to conquer, if my people, who are called by my name will humble themselves. First thing he asks. Oh God, I am nothing. And I'll never be anything. 
I am weak. I'm susceptible to temptation. I fail. I lust. I'm greedy. I gossip. I'm materialistic. Filled with anger. I am nothing but clay. I assume nothing. I'm entitled to nothing. I deserve nothing. With head down, nose on the floor. And if God, if you could use this, You could ride me. I'm willing. I'll not look at the palm branches. I'll not accept the words I hear. But I'll keep my nose down and walk straight for your glory so that the fame of your name may go forth from this place. And when you're through riding me, I will bow back and walk back to the barn and assume my role as a farm animal, a servant, a worker. So Lord, in this place. May we not desire power, influence, greatness, but just you. And whatever platform that you give these wonderful people, May they realize and I realize it's yours and we'll not touch it. Would you stand to your feet all across the room? If my people called by my name will lower themselves my eyes roam throughout the whole world trying to find a heart who's completely loyal to me so that I may show myself strong on their behalf. Oh God. This altar is open for you to come for the next few moments. Or you can kneel right where you are or just stand, whatever you want to do, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. come and pray, pray. If you want to come and kneel, kneel. If you want to lay before the Lord, lay before the Lord.
there needs to come from us a cry of repentance. Of brokenness before the Lord. Of contrition. Confess you've touched it. Confess you've held it tight. Confess that you've built. And now you have a house of cards. The enemy's going to blow. It'll all come crumbling down. Because you built it on sand. Ego. Principles. Systems. Father, we repent. Just a couple more minutes. Come and do business with him. Pride is devastating. We are nothing. We learn of you, Lord. Meek and lowly of heart. One more minute, 60 seconds. Oh, God, my heart. Oh, it's so dark at times, Lord. Help me, Jesus. Soft and to nothing you and you alone you and you alone oh God we die to self we die to self shalabusi hotishimabusi
Jesus. Stand to our feet, please. Thank you, Lord. Stand to our feet. Thank you, Lord. May the radiance of your glory go with all of us tonight. Changes. And everybody in the house said, amen, amen, amen. All right, here's the deal. Tonight, doors open at 445. Come expecting. The waters are going to be open tonight. Don't let pride keep you from meeting him in that water. He's coming for you. He's found you here. He's looked for you and found you here. I'll see you this evening. Prayer at 5 o'clock. God bless you. Have an incredible evening. Make sure you pick up the book unless we pray in the lobby if you would like that. Thank you.